Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 31. What is that Gabe Brown says? Sign the back of the check, not the front of the check. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers, where every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm Cal Hardy, your host. On today's episode, we have Nick Rogers of Red Leg Farms. Nick is a first-generation farmer, and on his operation, they have highland cows and hair sheep. Nick, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're coming on here today. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? We bought the farm three years ago now. I came out of the Army. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I bounced job to job. I grew up around rodeo, so I had a little bit of a background in livestock. Um, I rode bulls and fought bulls and traveled the rodeo circuit for a couple of years hard. So I, I knew livestock was always something I enjoyed. Um, the opportunity came up to buy the farm, and my wife and I jumped on it. We were convinced we were going to do a small feedlot and a hay operation. Didn't take as long to figure out. That wasn't very uh, profitable as a first-generation farmer starting out, buying everything. Oh, yes. Stumbled across Greg Judy. My wife and I were sitting out at the pond one night, playing around on the phone, and I somebody shared it on a, I think it was a Facebook group, a link to one of his videos, and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, we still wanted a farm, but I knew there had to be a better way to do it. Started researching it. We sold all our grain-fed cattle. The Highlander kind of came in uh, on accident. We had a chance to buy the entire fold from a gentleman that was a hobby farmer that was retired, and he was uh, ready to downsize, but I had to take the whole herd. So, uh, Oh, yes. I was, uh, I was against it at first with the uh, my experience with one Highlander bull that was at a rodeo arena that he kicked my butt for a whole year and i left that stock contract and went to go work for another contractor to go get away from that bull and he sold the bull to the contractor oh, yes so i had i had a kind of a stigma towards highlanders after that i mean they kicked my butt for a whole summer and a half um but then we got these and they're the most docile animal i've ever had i was completely shocked i had to kind of apologize to the wife i was wrong she was 100 percent right there um well get used to that <laughs> yes i'm learning that the older i get the more i'm learning that one of these days i might figure it out too but our, our cows out there i can, we move every day um I, my wire is 10 inches off the ground uh, my sheep and my cows stay in it we're staying right now. I'm right around seventy-five to eighty thousand pounds stock density, depending on how straight I get my wire across the field. Um, that oh yes, that varies occasionally as I'm walking across there. But I we've gotten where they can be a quarter mile away, and I decide I'm going to bring them up to the front, move pasture, and I go out there have somebody drop the line. I call them to the next pasture. I can call them right up to me. It, it's made moving cows quite enjoyable and quite easy. Oh, yes. The sheep took a little while to get them to bond in with the cattle, but once they were bonded, they're glued to them. Oh, yes. 
we do have some coyote pressure, so that kind of them being in with the Highlanders, it's I don't have anybody that really wants to predator wise that really wants to mess with the horn cow. So we knock on wood. I haven't had any issues with predator since. Very good. I've seen them in our pastures. We've actually seen where there was um, the coyote got a rabbit in the, twenty yards from my line, and I had calves laying there. Oh yes, that's been very nice. Right there, Nick. You bring up an interesting debate, and I say a debate because it's a debate we have on on my farm. Um, I say if we see coyotes out there and they're not bothering our lamps, let's keep them in the area. And of course, my dad, um, he believes uh, there's not any good coyotes. So, <laughs> well, that's I I've uh, I was with I was right there with your dad less than a, two years ago. Um, I've oh, done, yes. I, I've done some trapping with some professional trappers and some wildlife nuisance control trapping. And once we started learning the rotational grazing and understanding more of the networks and working with nature, if I got a coyote out there that's leaving my calves alone, leaving the sheep alone, it knows the rules to stay away. We eliminate that. Yes. Coyote. The next one might not know the rules so much. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And obviously the the food source, the habitats there to keep the coyotes that does we can't get rid of them all. So it's easier right. to work with them than it is against them. And we keep our yes. fences hot. I mean, my fence is between nine to ten thousand volts most of the time. I run a pretty good fencer. Oh, very good. Um, I got about half, half our pastures on timeless post. Oh, okay. Um, and the other half's on steel post still. Yes. We're in the process of changing over to the timeless, and I'll never go back to buying another steel post again. Oh, yes. Very um, good. The timeless, they cost a little bit more, but after watching the deer run through them and I didn't have nothing to fix, that was pretty nice. We dropped a tree on it once. I went over there, cut the tree, and the fence popped right back up. Oh, yes. That is nice. With our area, we have a lot of deer. Um, so the deer pressure is something I deal with on the steel post side. It seems like I got to carry insulators in the truck door, the four-wheeler do pocket, the, the cubby on the range. Right. It seems to always be an insulator. <laughs> yes. Now, Nick, where are you located? We're in central Michigan, little town of Montrose. Um, we got a, two stoplights now. All right. We're uh, for not a real big town. Um Wife and I grew up just north of here, and we settled here when I came back out of the Army. We got a pretty mild climate compared to some of the other people I hear on your podcast with the weather extremes. I mean, we get cold and hot, but water-wise, we're pretty blessed. We 25 to 30 inches a year is an oh, uncommon. Yes. Um, and I got to say, Michigan, we're pretty spread out with rain. We get some moisture from the snow. We get the rain when... So we're quite blessed there, I guess. Um, this year we've been a little bit drier than normal, so the rotation's definitely paying off this year. So how's your pastures looking right now with the drier weather? Um, pastures aren't looking too bad. I'm probably close to about waist deep right now. Good blend of warm season, cool season grasses. I got some um, velvet grass that got away a little a little bit, not too bad. 
Um, with the dry weather, I'm a little afraid to try clipping it right now. So I think yes. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna leave a section and I'm gonna clip a couple acres, sacrifice a couple if I mess up, and see if I do good, and so I can learn one way or another. Right. Yeah. See. See how it goes. See how it doesn't go. But with that grass that high is a good problem to have. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm switching over to the rotational grazing. I'm not going to lie. I'm having a hard time not wanting to bail a section of the pasture <laughs> right now. Um, yes. But I, the, you know, it's, we've got a, the holistic management needs to come through there and prevail there. It's, yeah, you know, and, the kid wants and, to run the track. Yes. And you did bail hay before because when you got started, you were grain based and um, belling hay, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yes. We still do, we still bale hay. Um, oh, yes. On, we bale hay on rented ground. Um, okay. We try different times of the year. We're not in big cattle country. So for me to get hay, I usually have to travel several miles. Um, we had a hard time getting the quality of hay we wanted. So right. we had the opportunity to rent some ground and put some hay fields in. So we put some hay fields in. We do use some organic fertilizers on that. Um, we use a liquid spray on there. And this year we use some uh, a company called Dairy Dew up in our area that does a compost, um, manure-based oh, compost. Okay. We spread that on with some lime. We're not organic certified, but we're in the process of getting our documentation started so we can, can become organic eventually. So it's been a learning curve there for us. What ag I was around growing up was always more conventional. And I still got some friends that are very conventional farmers. And we uh, there's always a good natured ribbing going on when I'm out there spreading <laughs> manure and compost and they're out there in their hundred or $200,000 sprayers. Oh yes. But we're trying to keep the cost down, keep our quality up high. And with COVID right now, it's kind of a good time to be a starting farmer with a grass fed local beef now. So it's kind of working out for us. Yes, it is good timing for you to be marketing grass fed beef. Let's, Let's jump back in your journey to getting those Highlanders. Yes, sir. When you decided, you, you discovered Greg Judy, you and the wife decided, and you discussed it and thought, hey, let's look at this path. And these Highland cows came available. Was that breed on your list in your mind, or was it just out of left field? It was quite out of left field. Um it was a, uh, we rented a small field from a gentleman for a hay field. They couldn't cut it. He said, it's been set last year, didn't get cut. Come cut it if you can. And I went and cut it and he called me up and he said, I got another deal for you. Come on by. And I figured it was one of his other hay fields. And so I jumped. Oh, in, yes. Jumped in the pickup, drove over, kind of excited for another hay field. And he goes, I got these cows that need to. He says, some of these are going home with you. I don't know which ones yet. He says, but you're going to, I'm going to sell you some of these. 
And I told him, no, I didn't want no darn Highlanders. And I, <laughs> at the time, I was looking at South Poles and trying to figure out how I can get South Poles up here in Michigan. At a, oh, yes. And he made me a heck of a deal that I just I couldn't say no to. And ever since, it's I now I help him do some farming so he can still stay farming, um, but still enjoy his retirement. And the Highlanders kind of snowballed and they grew on me. Um, I don't know if we're going to do some crossbreeding for some flavor improvement. Um, but for the most part, I don't think we're going to ever go away from them. I, they've been thriving good on our grass. They forage great. Um, they'll actually browse into the shrubs and the brush like the sheep. Oh, yes. And we got some uh, civil pasture we're converting so the highlanders are they do excellent work back there as far as brush clearing um and they stay home a heck of a lot better than goats <laughs> i uh <laughs> yes goats are one animal that i i uh i don't want to try i managed to get the sheep and the cows down to a single wire i don't know if i could do it with goats so the highlanders are kind of they thrive with everything we have yeah you you're echoing what um, Eli Mack said on episode five about the Highland cows. You know, they're browsers. They're great on rough terrain. He really likes them as well. So you got the Highland cows and brought them in. Did you have paddocks fixed up? Did you, what what your pastures look like right then? When we brought them in, I, uh, we were still using our barnyard as a centralized water location. And I had four, four or five acres of paddocks at the time. And I was moving them out and then bringing them to the barn every night. And that was getting to be a lot of, a lot like work. And we were trying to work on other projects. Oh, yes. And uh, we started our first rotation. I was doing it with aluminum wire and T-posts. And I was driving T-posts in the ground, running aluminum wire and tearing it down, dragging it across the field. And so kind of, I got sick of doing that after about two weeks. And uh, we fed <laughs> yes. the whole 32 acres. I said, we're going to do the rotational. We're not going to hay it anymore. And uh, we went to town fencing. So now I'm grazing. I got 32 acres here at the home farm and about 35 acres of running ground that we're spread out at um not all of that's improved yet one we just signed the contract on the other day so i got to get some fencing going there so that's that'll be a that's going to be an interesting one that was a bean field that we're going to turn into a pasture over the next couple years i'll do some heavy bale grazing on it still debating if we're going to seed or just try to unroll hay and plant that way. I haven't quite decided there. I've I seen Greg Judy's got some really nice pastures that he's done it with, but he's got a little more time and patience than I got, I think. <laughs> um, so we're probably going to drill that in. Just so we want to be able to bring our numbers up. Um, we were having a hard time keeping up with demand right now, so we need more cattle. Another good problem to have. On your lease land, is it close enough that you're going to be able to manage your your cattle as one herd or mob and move them between your land and the lease land? 
Yeah, the one's actually right across the road. So oh, we're going nice. to see how well that works. Um, I don't plan on loading them up for that yes. one. Um, I'm going to wait for kind of a midday and real careful, like, slip across the road with the cattle drive. Hopefully no one from the township's listening. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, our other pastures are all within five to seven miles. Oh, yes. Um, so right now it's taking me about three to four trips to haul the, haul the herd over there, get them over there. We're working on some little bit better transportation. Oh, yes. And as we, as I lease a farm closer to us, I let the farthest one go and kind of get my radius down smaller. Um, I hopefully we're going to keep it as a mob grazing. Yes. Uh, I really like having one pasture at times. I got to split for different. I got one farm. I can't bring the sheep to. They just too many neighbors, dogs, too many other issues. And it's just easier not to bring them there. So that gets to be a kind of a pain in my rear end to do two sets of chores. Right. So I really want to stick with the mob grazing. Yeah. yeah but like you mentioned there, you're constrained by what land you can find to lease. And yes, sir. as you do it longer and you can start getting them closer, that'll really benefit you. Oh yeah. And unfortunately we're, we're a mile from the city limits. So I got to Oh yes. So at certain time, I have one field that I'll never be able to graze, but it makes it a great hay field. <laughs> there so you we'll, go. We'll keep doing that. And you do need that. Hey, your winters are a little bit longer than mine. Yeah. Um, last year we did pretty good on stockpiled forage. We made it till just after Thanksgiving. Oh, very good. Um, got a little bit of an ice storm. And we kind of started into some rougher pasture and we started bell grazing out or unrolling it from there. And that pasture this year is better than it's looked even well, I've worked on this the farm that we bought probably 10 years ago. Um, and the pasture didn't look as good as it does now just from then rolling it. We did unrolling hay for the first time last winter. Always before we, we put it out and we didn't use hay rings because we wanted the cows to leave some residue there. And then always I spent all year looking at that circle and how wonderful it was. And sometimes the center of it would take two years to really get good grass in there. But this year we unrolled hay and it's amazing. I can go out there and pick where I unrolled hay. It's amazing the difference it makes. Oh, I, I was really shocked. We got a couple of stripes that we've actually take pictures of every few weeks. Oh, yes. Uh, first bale I unrolled, I used the tractor. Um, the spike wasn't doing a very good job, so I used the forks and kind of used the tractor to unroll it. We didn't have any other way to unroll it, and I ended up a little thick there. Oh, yes. But we were able to document some pictures over the course of the year and the improvements of it. Um, where we unrolled the hay, I watched the four, the bad forbs disappear. Uh, we had a lot of mare's tail. and um, Oh, shoot, I forget the name of the other one. I'm drawing a blank uh goldenrod oh yeah when we unrolled the hay I, I couldn't believe how fast it, it helped eliminate that and was bringing in the good the better grasses the higher quality grasses and the better forage it really was really surprising to see this year very good now do you you unrolled it at first with your forks 
Do you have a bell and roller now? Yes, we uh, when we were down um, at the Greg Judy School, I ended up purchasing one of his on rollers. And I got to say, that was pretty nice. I didn't have to start a diesel tractor in the wintertime one time this year. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I, I take that back. We got one good snowstorm, and I wasn't going to shovel, so I got the tractor out oh, for that. Yeah. But we fed the whole year with a four-wheeler, our, the, uh, our Ranger, or side-by-side. I got up, uh, I think our deepest snow is about 12 to 14 inches that we had built up. I got a little deep there. The ground was frozen hard enough. I used the pickup, but oh yes, it was. I, I heard small enough. I don't. I can't put on a whole bale. They'll waste too much of it. Yes, but that roller, I can put a half a bale out, stop, crank it back up, pull over to the other side of the wire, and it's there for the next day. So it's kind of nice to leave it out there staged, and it cuts back on the workload or. If I can't do chores. I can send one of the teenage boys out there and they can do it. Everything's set up nicely. Very nice. That uh, unrollers, good investment. Well, good. I, everyone I've talked to that's gotten one has just been uh, ecstatic with it, really happy with it. We um, looked at his videos and and looked at pictures and built our own which probably doesn't function as well as his does, but it's getting the job done for us. After seeing one in person, I was glad we didn't build our own because we thought about doing that. Oh, yes. Um, it, the For the functionality, I wanted to make sure something my wife could do or if I had to have someone do chores for me, I could have it as easy, as simple as I could. Oh, yes. I'm kind of, that balance point, the way he has it balanced on there, I, it's unbelievable that how it, the leverage works on that thing. Someone, he, there was a lot of thought and effort put into that. Yes, and lots of lots of bells getting unrolled to to perfect it. Oh yeah, yeah, he's definitely got the herd to do the work there. <laughs> so you got your Highland cows there, and you you bring them in. How long before you start introducing sheep? Um, we ran the Highlanders for about five or six months, and we started looking for haired sheep. Why? The main goal for us at the time was the parasites, the with the two parasites being end users from the cattle and the sheep. Oh yes, that was my main motivation factor, and and I had a lot of Forbes in the field. I, we had Forbes everywhere. Oh yes. So it was a week for us. It was a form control. The raising the sheep was going to be secondary. Then we started raising them and started eating them. And we ended up liking the sheep meat quite a bit. And it's been very profitable for us. Um, way more profitable per sheep than we ever imagined when we first started getting into them. Oh, yes. And they haven't been nearly the work that I thought they were going to be. This is our second year with sheep. Um, I don't think I'd want to do the extra work that the wool sheep has with the shearing and the tail dock and our haired sheep are pretty, we called quite heavily when we first got them. Anything that jumped the wire after so many times was gone. Anything with bad feet, we had to, we sat down the road. So I think we called probably 40% of our first initial flock. 
and now I'm I'm definitely reaping the rewards of it. I'm hoping to improve it as we go on, but you're always trying to improve every day, you know. Just want to improve every day. But they've been a pleasant surprise of how nice they fit in with a grass-fed operation. What breed did you go with for your hair sheep? Um, we have uh, Barbados Black Belly Crosses with Cotton Cross right now. We started with the uh, Black Bellies. It was the first grass-fed sheep I could find that was within a couple-hour drive. Okay, and I went from there. Um, friends of ours picked up some cotton ewes from the southern part of the state, and they were doing really good. So I went and got a couple of those, and we got them kind of to crossbreed in with ours. I wanted to add a little bit of more more, more meat to the carcass oh, yes. over the black bellies. So we brought the cotton ends, and now I'm kind of considering bringing in some St. Coy. Um, oh, okay. Just because I found a grass-fed source for some some of them a little bit closer to us, which was nice because I can get them out of Michigan, and hopefully they'll I won't have to cull as many that way. Right, and they'll be used to your environment. So we're going to see how that kind of crosses in there. Just I haven't really found a, a breed that I can say I like for 100% for one reason or another on the sheep. So my my herds my flock's small. I want to kind of experiment and learn from there and kind of decide what we want to go with from there. I think that's an excellent um, pathway for you to go with them, figure out what works for your farm, and then you can double down with whatever's working for you. That's our hope. With the sheep, you got them, you got started, and you were, I think, pleasantly surprised by um, the meat, how is that going for sales? Are you direct selling it? Yep, we direct sell the sheep, our beef. So far, we've been able to, we haven't had any that we couldn't sell. Um, oh, yes. Since in COVID with us starting off and COVID kind of, uh, as bad as I hate to say it, for us being a small farm, COVID was good for business. People wanted to know where their food comes from. They're looking more for ethically sourced food, clean source food. So it's been good so far. I've had a few customers that had some issues cooking it at first, just like we did here at our own house. But we started including some recipes and some how-to links with when they buy from us. And I'm starting to get the word of mouth trickle down effect from that and unfortunately i'm sold on a sheep this year um which isn't bad to have i wish i had about four or five dozen more um oh yes i we just don't want to grow too fast too quick either right we're doing our best to farm without the bank and that's been a challenge but it's uh, doable goals, reachable goals, and sometimes it slows our growth down a little bit, but I don't want to have the bills either. I want to, right, right. That Gabe Brown says, sign the back of the check, not the front of the check. <laughs> yes, yes. So you're, you're selling your sheep and beef direct. Jumping just a little bit back, you, you mentioned a little bit about your watering. 
how's your watering system set up now? Have you made any changes to that? We're currently working with the NRCS on uh, some underground water and a farm well. Oh, um, yes. Right now, that's been in the process. We uh, we had to have an archaeologist out to do an archaeological assessment because we're close to it. We were, our property's close to a uh, archaeological site. Oh, okay. They wanted to make sure it didn't spill over onto our land because that was ended up being part of where we were wanting to route the wa the water line. So we uh, we got that signed off. So we're hoping to hear back from them on a cost share program with that. Um, for right now, we're we, we put our uh, tanks out in the pasture, and I have a lane that reaches the edge of the pasture. So we've been hauling water out in totes. Oh, yes. right now, just like that, it keeps water in the pasture. I back graze to the tank for a couple of days before I move it forward. Oh, yes. Um, right now it's working because I can reach both sides of the pasture with the pickup. Um, I got one pasture I got to figure out a little bit better game plan for. So we're there's a hay wagon that's earmarked to get cut apart and made into a water cart here in the next week. Oh, or two. yes. That way I can I can haul about 500 gallons out, park it in the shade, and run a line back over to the water troughs. Oh, very good. That's been working. It's a little extra work, but we're definitely looking forward to getting some pressurized water oh, set up. I imagine so. But as you touched on a little bit earlier, you know, just do what you can with what you have and oh, just yeah. keep moving forward. Yes, sir. Now, you mentioned... I'm jumping around now, and I apologize for jumping around. People will be like, where's your train of thought? But I'm jumping back. You mentioned that pasture that had been a bean field that you have, that you've leased, and you've talked about drilling yep. something in. So if you go in and drill, what are you going to put in there? We have a gentleman a couple, oh, about a half hour away, runs a Michigan Livestock Service. Um, very, very well-versed in forages and grazing. He's actually taking the time to sit down. We spent probably two hours in a shop going over different blends and different goals and everything. Right now we're looking at kind of a custom blend. We couldn't quite find any pre-bought blends that were already done. So we found uh, Byron Seeds that would do a custom blend for us. We're looking at going with about five different grasses, some clover. I really want to try to get some bird foot trefoil out there after seeing how well the livestock love that out here. Uh, our main goals are make sure we get fescue, white clover, purple top clover, some sort of brassicas. I'm not sure what yet. Yes. Kind of want to see where we're at with soil test and see where our pH is. But I'm going to try to put as many multiple species as I can possibly get away with. And I'll probably try one or two more that I probably should. <laughs> oh, yes. I, the only way to try it is, if, I mean, I figure if I put buy one bag of seed and put it on one side of the drill and just do a section, I can at least get a reaction to see what it does or doesn't do. Right. So we're going to try a couple different grasses in there and see what it does. The fescue's been a pretty good base for us. 
Um, even when I unroll hay, I got a just a small cedar that I attached to the front of the four wheel. It runs off a 12 volt battery, and I put fescue in that, and I just broadcast seed. Oh, yeah, ahead of what we're unrolling, and that was because we we first bought the place. Everybody said, "Yo, fescue grows great." And I'm like, I couldn't get fescue to grow for nothing for the first year. Oh no. Um, we put a lot of fescue seed in it to get it to finally come up. And some of that was more of it was operator error. The way I put it down, I didn't do a very good job and didn't get a good soil seed to soil contact the first time. But since we started letting the, the hay be the push down and the animals do it, we started getting some real good fescue coming up. Um, and that's nice for the stockpiling. And I would think, uh, seeding that right in front of where you're unrolling a bell hay would work really well. So far, it seems to be. Um, we did about six acres of it last fall, well, fall, winter. Yes. And we're getting ready, we'll be going back across that here probably another two weeks. I'll be getting her back on across that section of the field. So I'm kind of. I have been kind of lazy. I haven't been all the way back there to really look it over real good, but I was amazed on how much fescue did come up when we were back there a couple weeks ago. Oh, very good. So I'm quite pleasantly happy with that. I'm hoping to have more success with that on the rest of the pastures. But, you know, dumb luck works out sometimes. (laughs) So in addition to cattle and sheep, what else do you have on your farm? Um... We're looking at expanding into some pasture pigs. Oh, um, yes. Next year. Um, this year, we're doing a couple of big infrastructure projects. We, uh, I got a hip roof barn that we just started tearing down. Well, this morning was our first uh, time taking the sledgehammers and pulling some siding off, and we're building a shop. So for us this year, we're sticking with the uh, sheep. And the cattle, and we have a small shiitake mushroom set up going. Oh, yes. And the shiitake mushrooms that came from Greg Judy, and we were already clearing some fence rows and cleaning up stuff and opening up trails through the woods, and I didn't want to just burn all that. So the shiitake mushrooms kind of came from there. We did, I think we did 40 logs last year total. Um, this year we're going to shoot for another couple hundred logs and see where that goes. Um, we've never done it before, so we're not really kind of a – we're not counting on it for anything, but we're going to try oh, it. Yes. We didn't want to jump in too far into it. Um, I'm hoping to start seeing some mushrooms from logs last year soon, but we'll see if we did it right or not. <laughs> well, that that's exciting to, to find out. I see Greg Judy's videos with the mushrooms, and I find that very interesting, but I haven't done anything like that. Now, you mentioned, you know, you're looking at pasture pork for the for next year. Where do you see your farm going in the next few years? Um, in our next few years, we would like to... Uh... We'd like to have the beef, the sheep, and the pork going with all grass-fed. Um... We want to be certified grass from the. We want to get certified grass fed, grass finished. Oh yes, we're following the practices minus a couple of the documentation. I wasn't quite doing up to their standards, so it wasn't wasn't too bad to change forward. Oh yes, now we got to get scheduled for 
direction. Um, I'd like to do some more direct marketing, and I really want to start looking at some catering more towards some of the restaurants um, as part of our long-term goals. Um, our restaurant industry, unfortunately, was hit quite hard here in Michigan. Oh, yeah. The shutdowns. So we kind of backed off on those contracts for this. Right now, obviously, we lost a couple. A couple aren't in business anymore. So kind of a reset, regal. We talked about a, possibly in the next five years looking at doing it on doing a, some sort of a farm store. Oh, okay. Um, yes. We've been doing the individual cuts. We just started getting some dates booked in with a USDA processor as part of the anticipation of that transition because everything else we've done is us, us selling direct to the customer. We're doing everything in shares. So we're doing a state, our butcher's state inspecting instead of USDA. Inspecting. Oh, okay. Yes. So we're, just, we're getting transitioned over and you know how dates are to butcher dates are quite hard to get. They are. Here. So we were happy to get our foot in the door, but we're booking 18 to 20 months out. We have to, we got to book our dates right now and you don't want to overbook. That's, that's just amazing. I'm, I'm hoping we see some relief <laughs> yes. in that. Um, I told my wife we should have been butchers instead of farmers at one <laughs> right now might've been a better idea, but. I don't think I'd quite get the enjoyment out of doing that as I do out in the field with the cattle. I, I agree. But if, if there's someone out there that has those processing skills and is interested in it, um, it may be on the tail end of the pandemic, uh, portion of it, but they, if they'd started last year, early in the year, they'd be going great guns. Oh, heck yes. It's, We've, we've had, yeah. we were, we've had one puck that uh, started here in Michigan um, just as the pandemic started. So, I mean, it was, but I mean, one processor for the whole, you know, I think we only added like one or two in the entire state during the pandemic. So that there wasn't much relief felt, but great news for the oh, yeah. business, but hopefully in the next few years we can, that'll, some of that'll level off and. It'll be a little easier for producers to get the dates. Yes, yes. Well, Nick, it's great learning about your farm, but let's talk about our overgrazing section, our deep dive into one of your practices or things happening on your farm. So, Nick, what is our topic for the overgrazing section today? Well, I've been putting some thought into it because I'm nervous about public speaking i ain't gonna lie so i uh I'm <laughs> you're thinking, doing great <laughs> thank you um i'm thinking the highlanders using them with integrating them with our sheep having that as one mob and uh how we're getting we're able to use that for our predator control we i don't know if i could if it was dumb luck or what but it kind of once we got the sheep and the cattle to bond together um we I, you know, I, there's nights I don't sleep very well. So I get up and go, if I'm going to be awake, I'll go out and look at the cattle. And oh yeah. I walk out in the middle of the pasture in the middle of the night and I got the cows are in one big, you know, circle and the sheep are always seem to be in the middle somehow. Oh, very um, good. We've had coyotes. We got bobcat in our area and I, 
we've never had a problem with the predators once we put them together. Growing up around trapping and hunting, I was always, if it was a coyote, it needs to go. And so it's been a little bit of a paradigm shift to leave them be, but the cattle is one big mob ended up kind of being a heck of a good deterrent. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is nice because I can take them anywhere to another farm. I don't have to worry about somebody's neighbor's dog getting in with the livestock guardian dogs and being a potential issue or. So for us, it really created a, we got our predator security system and most of the time, I don't think I have to worry about a cow ever hurting a neighbor's dog or pet cat or anything that oh, way. Oh, yes. So you're running your sheep with your highland cattle, and those highland are basically being your livestock guardian animals because you don't have any other animals with them, correct? No. I Well, like my pet dog comes out with me every day and he runs yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, we were able to leave them be. We got them into, I got them into some remote areas, a couple of farms that there's nobody else. They're vacant farms. I mean, we've walked out there going out to do morning chores and seen coyotes run across the field. And I get out to the cows and I got the sheep are laying there still half asleep, cast laying next to mom. Nobody's even stressed down or worried. And it's, it was oh, kind of yeah. nice to see that. Oh, it would um, be. It saves us having to buy a buy a dog and run through the rigmarole of training them, feeding them. Yes. So for us, it was a it kind of worked out as a cost factor and cost savings. And I know a lot of people don't like the horn cows, but I, we found a way to kind of benefit from them. Right, and if it's and then working we, uh, for you, that's what matters. Knock on wood, I'm gonna. I'm going to keep going with it as long as I can get away with it. I, I've read an article or two about bonding your cattle and sheep so you can have that mix flirt to um, provide that protection. And, and the things I've read says the key is the bonding. How did you get your cattle to bond to your sheep? We started when I first brought the sheep out, we, when I started the sheep, I have a small acre and a half hard fenced. Um, we use that for a training fence, whether it's cattle, sheep, or anything. I got a hotline that runs around it. Um, just move it down, up or down, depending on if I'm doing sheep or cattle. Oh, yes. That way, good hot fence in there. We keep them in there about three days. We started the sheep in there. I brought the cattle up next to them and grazed past them. And then we started putting them in together. When I first put them in together, it was taking three, four, sometimes five lines. Um, at one point, I got, I had a couple that were still jumping out. We were the sheep were getting pushed around a little bit by the cattle, so I went to uh, Premier One fencing. I had, uh, I borrowed from a neighbor down the road that was using them for his goats, and it took a layer of Premier One and three layers of polyline um, kept angled. So I had multi-layered and after about a week of that, they got used to each other enough that we started, we pulled the premier one out. I went with three lines and then we called down anything that jumped. 
Oh, yes. And then from there, we went, we got down to one line and they just stayed with each other. And now I can't separate them. Um, we brought a, we brought the herd up into the catch pen to sort down a heifer the other day. And I ended up having to sort sheep at the same time because they run right on the alley. And <laughs> luckily, they'll usually cut out quicker so I can run the sheep through first. But Oh, yes. We've been quite blessed with that. I hear a lot of people struggle with that. And kind of one of them dumb luck things happen to work. Well, it sounds like it's working good. Now, one, one more question about that. Uh, in the articles I read, they said the younger your animals the better they bond. How old were the sheep you purchased and and the age of your cows? Did that make a difference for you? For us, the cattle, are, are we, I think our oldest out there's seven, right down to five months. We're pretty spread out. Oh, yes. The sheep, the first initial flock we bought were all, um, they were all still lambs. Oh, yes. Fresh leaned. They were quite happy to be around an animal um so that kind of helped us there I, and i, I didn't read that article did. yeah. I, didn't know that part. <laughs> I didn't know i never read that article and didn't know about the age thing so i kind of that dumb luck thing worked out for well, me good good uh but yeah they were just we started with lambs um we raised up a few we only kept two back i bought um I think we started with six and I kept two ewes and the rest were rams. And I wish I would have bought a heck of a lot more the first time around. Oh yes. Um being the lambs that did help because they were young, the herd mentality. Right. Kept them up closer. And then the one little calf, he kind of bond he fell in love with them. I think he was the smallest calf out there at the time and he could push them around a little bit. <laughs> So they kind of they kind of stayed with him, and I, I got real lucky. It sounds like it's working good, and it's something I've tried a little bit, but I haven't had much success. And I don't think I've I've tried it long enough and stuff. But I'd love to get my sheep bonded to my cattle. Of course, I've got livestock guardian dogs, and they don't feel like the cattle should be bothering the sheep at all. So that's a little bit of an issue. That could probably get real interesting. Well, Nick, I am glad to hear that's working for you, and I hope it continues. Uh, it's time for us to move to our famous four questions. Same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? You know, I've been thinking about this all day when I'm, I'm out there swinging a hammer. I got to be able to answer these questions. For as far as a resource, um, I'm really good. I have, I've thought about all, I've read quite a few different books in the last few years. I'm just ordered Greg Judy's new book. I um, Salad Bar Beef's been a good book. But I have to say the internet has been the best resource for me. I can reach out, find the books I want, find the podcasts um, with the grazers and the producers, the YouTube videos, the how-to. There always seems to be someone that wants to try what you want to do, and you can at least see if, what they're doing and what not to do or what to do. Um, 
so I gotta say the internet's probably been my biggest resource for my phone. I mean, that's got my grazing schedule on there, my pasture management plans. Um, we use a task manager app called Asana. Oh yes, which is I can put it. That has been a game changer for us. Um, my wife can put honeydews in there. I shouldn't have had her <laughs> do that, but. That, but you know, gotta take the good with the bad. But sometimes all of a sudden I think I'm checked off for the day and all of a sudden where'd that come from? Oh yes. But yeah, that's been a huge resource for us. Very good. Our second question, what tool could you not live without on your farm? My fence remote. Um we run a stay fix fencer, um or speed right now. Yes. That that dang remote is I'm bad about electrocuting myself or I'll, when I was doing the aluminum wire way back, there was times I'd tie onto a hot fence with a pair of pliers and try to get enough wraps without electrocuting myself. And we went to that stay fix fencer and that remote being able to shut that fence off anywhere in the fence is that's been a lifesaver, big time saver. I don't have to call my wife up. Can you <laughs> shut the fence off? I'm out here the back party and I need to do this. Um, I get up in the morning and it gets shoved in my back pocket when I'm heading out to the fields and it doesn't come out of my pocket until I'm heading, I'm done for the day. Nick, I concur. That fencing remote is wonderful. I sadly on one of my uh, lease properties, I have a portable fence charger and solar panel on it, but I got a, a stay fix speed, right? A two jewel that doesn't work with the remote, I'm about to um, change that over to one that works with the remote because I miss having that remote over there. Those are so, it's, you know, even when the deer break an insulator, I, oh, I got to go left or right. Oh. Putting that comp, using that comp, yes, so nice. Yes. Our third question, what do you wish you knew when you started out or what would you tell someone just getting started on the, on their journey? I wish I wasn't over invested in equipment um, starting out. So I, I wish I would have known not to over invest in the latest and greatest of everything in this and that. Wish I would have took the time to let the land kind of tell me what I needed to do instead of me trying to tell the land what to do. Yes. If that makes any sense, I was convinced I'm going to do this, this, or that. Going from the feedlot to the grass fed was a, I wish I would have, if I would have started with fencing instead of all the infrastructure to set up a small feedlot, I would have been quite a ways ahead from where I am now. Oh, yes. With a lot less investment. Yes. And lastly, where can others find out more about you? Um, my wife does a wonderful job with uh, our Facebook page, uh, Red Lake Cattle Company, with Nick and Annie Rogers. And she has, uh, she also does a great job with uh, pictures and videos I take and posted them on YouTube with uh, Red Leg Farms, Nick and Annie Rogers. Other than that, I'm not really on social media a whole lot. We don't have a website yet, and I definitely got to get a website. Well, we'll post links to those accounts on there. Um, but before we finish up, Red Leg Farms, how did you come up with that name? Red Leg Farms 
was uh, kind of a tribute to my mili- time in the military. I was uh, I was an artilleryman, and our nickname in the artillery was Red Legs. Oh, very nice. So we're a mixed family. We, my, I have two sons. My wife has two sons. So we didn't want to be. We didn't want to use our name in the. Uh, with my, we didn't want to go with the last name. Oh of yes. The mixed family. Yes. There's Rogers and Smiths worked the farm, so I didn't want to have Rogers Farm or you know. So we were uh, sitting around the fire one night, and I had another artillery buddy over, and he says, well, why don't you call it Red Leg Farms? And so, well, that works, and it kind of it went from there. Not a lot of people catch, catch what it is, but it was kind of a just a little tribute to the military time. and Very good. What, what I got to do in the Army. Very good, Nick. Nick, we really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today and sharing about your operation and what you're doing. Well, Kel, thanks for having me on. I appreciate giving me a chance to be on, and I actually had a lot of fun. Well, great. Wonderful. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. Each episode features a grass farmer and their operation. If you'd like to be featured on a future episode of the podcast, visit grazinggrass.com and click on the Be Our Guest link. Fill out the information and we will be in touch. Also share this episode with someone who may find it valuable. Also follow our Instagram page and our Facebook page. And as always, keep on grazing. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, Click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.